I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as foils attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hey, Jay. Yeah. Do you know why cows wear bells? No, I don't. Because their horns don't work. <laughs> Oof. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, Scott. Yeah. Do you know where polar bears keep their money? I don't think polar bears have money. In a snowbank. Oh, God. Jay, uh, Jay, are you yeah. an angry carrot? Because you're getting steamed. Okay. Scott, what do you call a well-balanced horse? Um, a, just a normal horse. Stable. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know why you can't hear a pterodactyl going to the bathroom? Because the pee is silent. Ladies and gentlemen, pre-recorded via Skype, it's Nerd Alert! Featuring a nerd fact from Commander Scott. The Jay's Not Here soundboard. Random off-topic facts about stuff. Frequent old man rants. OCD note-keeping from Moby John. Movie quotes from the doc. And now your host, Obi John Kenobi. Hello there, Obi John Kenobi, coming with you to you with a brand new episode of Nerd Alert. We're doing things a little different today, in case you hadn't noticed yet. Uh, today's topic warranted a little 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 different intro and I, I think it went pretty well i'm happy with it but let me introduce properly now my co-hosts of the show first up ladies and gentlemen the man who keeps the nerd in the top nerdy to me network commander scott so i found out something interesting here recently Ooh, did something come across your feed something came across my feed it prompted me to, to jump down a little bit of a rabbit hole Something so, new and different for this show. I love it. I, I know. I know it's never happened before. <laughs> no. I try to keep it lively like that. Um, so this past month, I think it was this past month, uh, Taco Bell has filed a petition with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. You know how 
uh, on Tuesday. Oh, I think I heard about this. Yes, yes. yes. Uh-huh, on Tuesdays, uh, there's a couple of people in the office mm-hmm. that always go out to lunch, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where do they? Where, where, where do they go? Where do they go get on on Tuesdays? They go to that uh, Korean place for the, no, uh, the no, special. No? No, huh. no, 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 no. They they go they go. To right, right. That's on Friday. Sorry. It's on Fridays. Yeah. They go to get tacos on Tuesday. Apparently, there's this whole you know thing about Tuesdays and tacos, right? Never heard of that before. And there's yeah, there's a thing that people call it, but did you realize that that is a registered trademark? Someone owns Taco Tuesday? So you owe them money now. Oh, oh, oops. Because, yes, that has been a registered trademark for Taco John's, a Wyoming-based food chain, since 1989. Yeah, so I actually am Taco John. Uh, I bought the rights <laughs> when I was five years old, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm covered. <laughs> and uh, apparently it has become such a common usage you know phrase nowadays Mm -hmm. uh and everything that taco bell has filed a petition with the u.s patent and trademark office to cancel that trademark not because they want to own it not because they're pursuing it but they they want it to be made a free term that anybody who buys eats sells throws away pelts passerbys on the street with tacos uh, should be able to use it. You know, drive by tacoing. Mm-hmm. I, thought that was, I thought it was funny that it, a, it's a thing, it's, and it's been there since 1989. That just, that just fascinated me. That is nuts to think of, yeah. So, right here, right now, we need to start the hashtag, Free Taco Tuesday. Oh, wait, wait a minute. That's no, not gonna... <laughs> that, that, that might not work. Um, no, 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 no it's, it's fine. Free Taco Tuesday. Free, yes, free, free, you know, Taco Tuesday, or, or you know, uh, you know, hashtag Shave Taco Tuesday. You know, you just shave it right off the books there. Um, or, uh, you know, um, some other things that we can do that are innuendos that I can't think right now. <laughs> no, I like it. Free Taco Tuesday. So from now on, kids, until. That cockpit is abolished every Tuesday here at Nerd Alert will be free taco Tuesday. Showing up and get a free taco. Yes, we will free our tacos. Mm-hmm. If you find us okay. on a Tuesday, we'll give you a free taco. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, yeah. Wow. So did yeah. not know yeah, that 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 first of all that it was a trade. And it's crazy to think, like, why wouldn't they have pursued people for using that if you own taco tuesday wouldn't you want to cash in on that i would say many more people know taco tuesday than know taco john's yes uh however i don't think anybody has actually used it in advertising Mm. like it like they can't stop or they, they could possibly come after me for just saying taco tuesday or something i'm not sure how all trademark you know, rule. No, 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 no. We're just plugging Taco John's. That's yeah, we're not yeah, taking exactly. theirs. We're just, yeah. Exactly. But I don't I, think anybody else has actually used it as as part of official advertising. At least hmm. not. I mean, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to do the research, but yeah. You know what? Hot take. Taco John's is better than Taco. And Taco what? Jay? He is gone. And what? Hello? Hello? Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. You cut you out. cut off right at the end, yeah. Yeah, you, you said Taco oh. John's is better than Taco Bell. Said. 
Oh yeah, Taco lots. Taco John's is way better than Taco Bell. I'll Taco Tico is better than Taco Bell. It doesn't is, take much to be better than Taco Bell. There is nothing better than Taco Bell. Thank you very much. Many things oh, better no. than Taco Six Bell. Six pack and a pound. Hit up them potato olays. Olay. Potato Ooh, olay. olays. Mm. Dipped in sour cream and nacho time. cheese. Mm. Sour cream and nacho cheese. Oh, uh, the Texas Sancho from Taco Tico is kind of my jam right now. <sighs> hey. Cardboard taco shells with meat paste and plastic cheese. Can mm-hmm. you? All right. Uh, I can if you make your cardboard Doritos flavored cardboard. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Does, does Taco Bell do the Doritos Locos taco? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They're the best taco innovators in the biz, man. I'm telling you. They will find new ways to package or to a tortilla, meat, cheese, and sauce. <laughs> 50 different ways. Um, it's uh, it's my favorite thing to do when when I go down to Texas and stuff because every time uh-huh. you're down there, everyone's always like, "Oh, have you ever had authentic Mexican?" To which my response is always, "Oh yes, I love Taco Bell." It pisses them <laughs> off. <laughs> have you ever had real Chinese food? Yeah, I love Panda Express. Oof. I I, I go with the the buffet place down on New Circle. I love that place. I know you took me there my first day. Yeah, that place is awesome. <laughs> it is interesting. I'm not sure I would call it authentic Chinese. But anyway, here's our first off-topic rant of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, let me finish introducing uh, my, my co-host for this wonderful pre-recorded Not At All Live from New York session. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, coming joining us from somewhere in time and space, perhaps via a DeLorean, it's the Doc. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark. And we're wearing sunglasses. Punch it. Hit, hit it. Hit it. Damn it. Sorry. It's hit it. Uh, but I, I blame I'm, Pike. That's I, I it's okay. I gotta I gotta give Jay props. He made it through a quote and actually got the quote correct. He almost so did the reading, accent too. Yeah. He's reading the quote. That's fine. That's fine. I'll give it to you. We're on a mission from Gad. You gotta see the penguin. Yeah. You promised when you got out you were gonna see the penguin. Can't lie to a nun. <laughs> Great I want a movie. Fried chicken. Four fried chickens in a coke. And the other one wants plain white toast. Elwood. Um now, Jake or Jay, can you what? give us can you give us mods? Uh no. State, county, municipal, offender, data, system, SCMODs. SCMODs. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So, you you clicked on the show. You know what we're talking about. But in case you clicked on it blindly because you just love our show that much. This week, we're taking a look at the weird world of Saturday Night Live movies. Now, to be clear, what I'm talking about, what we're talking about, are feature-length films based on characters or skits that originally debuted on Saturday Night Live. Not movies starring people from SNL. We'd be here for a month and a half if we did that. So we're not talking about Elf or Anchorman because Will Ferrell's in them. Those are not based on SNL skits. We're not talking about Ghostbusters because that wasn't based on an SNL skit, even though it stars a bunch of SNL people. Specifically, Stuff that a character or a skit uh, that premiered on SNL and then transitioned to a featured film. That's what we're talking about this week. And it is a 
roller coaster of quality. Uh, but we've already introduced the first one, so we won't bury it anymore. The first movie or the first property to make the jump from SNL character to major motion picture, 1990, The Blues Brothers. Which I just learned a very interesting fact about. Uh-oh. I did while, too. While reading something completely unrelated. Well, not completely, but I was reading the book, uh, A Convenient Parallel Dimension, which is the unauthorized history of the Ghostbusters franchise. Great book. Check it out. Um, it's awesome. But in that, I learned, did you guys know that any character created for SNL is owned by NBC Universal? Huh. The way Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi got around that and they still own the characters is because the Blues Brothers did not appear as characters on SNL. They talked Lorne Michaels into booking the Blues Brothers and the Blues Brothers band as musical guests on <laughs> the show. Nice. Nice. In universe, they are the Blues Brothers, who were booked as a musical performance, which is how Dan Aykroyd still owns uh, or maintains ownership of the Blues Brothers, and it didn't go to them because they well, were not actually uh, uh, characters for like a skit. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they never did a Blues Brothers skit. Nope. They they were they they did. I think the first version of them was when they did the Killer Bees thing. Because you get them in the Killer Bees, you know, outfit, but they got the mm -hmm. hats and glasses on. And I may be getting it backwards, but then then there was the the Blues Brothers where they, they did the song. With, you know, they were on stage and they were performing. And somebody told them that Elvis and the Colonel was there to see him. I don't know if you remember this one. And they're like, oh, yep. man, the, the, the Colonel. Yeah, we're going to go, blah, 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 blah. And they... They rush backstage. Of course, they can't. They rush off the stage and backstage. The camera follows them, and it's I don't know who was playing Elvis. It's just an Elvis impersonator. But instead of <laughs> instead of Colonel Parker, it's it's Colonel Sanders. And he's sitting there eating chicken <laughs> and, and stuff. So, nah, that's uh, awesome. You know the interesting fact that I just found out. What's that? The Blues Brothers came out in 1990. What? That's what you said, right? 1990? 1980. You said 90. Okay. Okay. I'm just telling you what I heard. I heard 90. Okay. I said 1980, so... You said 90. Okay. <laughs> sure. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah. I was the, confused. Anyway. Okay. The Blues Brothers from 1980. Hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Now, we can sit here and quote all day because we've already been doing it. But, guys, I think it's safe to say we're all fans of this movie. Uh, what makes this movie awesome to you? Well, well hang on. What, what, oh, Jay, okay, back up. Sorry. Yeah, Jay, what was your, your fact? We kind of skipped over it. No, it was that fact. He was trying to give me a shit. It, the fact was... I said 1990, and I was like, holy shit, that movie came out in 1990? It doesn't seem like it's that new. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Well, real quick, before we get into that, I, uh -huh. I do have like a legitimate thing. Okay. Like, like little, little known fact. I think, I think you all uh, may know it. A nice but, factoid. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Um, that it was originally put together and intended to be like a, a there, there was a road show cut of, of the film. Okay. Um, 
and uh, I forget how long it was, but it was intended to be a roadshow attraction. It was never really intended to be in theaters originally. It was just supposed to be taken around from venue to venue to be done. And the days before day and date released nationwide. Yeah. And the original cut was nearly three hours long and included an intermission. That's because the original script was over 300 pages. Good God. Um, it had an introduction for every individual member yes, of the band. Of the band. Now, uh, apparently the roadshow cut was only shown once at Pickwood Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, and then afterwards, Landis was asked to make cuts, which he then did a preview cut, which was the preview cut was around 133 minutes. And then that was used to cut down to the theatrical release. Uh, and, and the reason I bring this up is because in, in, in the 90s, Landis wanted to go back and restore the roadshow cut, but most of the footage was was gone. They, they, it, it was, it's pretty much considered lost now. However, mm-hmm. there is one thing, the only thing that was found that still exists from that. And I've got it here if you want to if you want to listen to it is the audio from a cut scene in Bob's Country Bunker where they sing Sink the Bismarck. Wasn't that on one of their albums? Not that I'm aware of. I've I have yet to find an album that has this. Song. Okay. But yeah, I've got it here if you want to listen to it. Give us a quick little snippet. there's only like another two minutes or so can we just go ahead and listen to the rest of it uh for copyright reasons i'm gonna say no ah. <laughs> but yeah but i, I would have let you play to the tip to, to, to the chorus that's all right I, uh, I, do, I do have a fun my favorite fun fact about the movie mm-hmm. is the scene where they're driving through the mall mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an actual abandoned mall that they then built storefronts in for them mm-hmm. to destroy. Yep. So like the mall was completely empty and they built it back up to make look like, make it look like an actual mall to drive through. That's, that's one of my favorite things about the movie. Um, yeah. Speaking of the mall scene, is that, is that Bill Murray cameoing for what the Miss Piggy? For what? The, the, the guy that's in the, the toy store right before they come crashing through. Uh, he's holding up a, a Muppet, like a stuffed Muppet uh-huh. doll. He says, do you have a Miss Piggy? Right before they crash in. It, it, is that Bill Murray? I don't think so, but I didn't know it was ever a thing. I thought that was just an in-joke because, like, to Frank Oz. I don't know. Uh, see, now I'm curious. Anyway, go ahead. So yeah, so oh. we hit we hit the ground running with Blues Brothers. It was it was the first SNL property turned into a movie. Um, it made 115 million dollars on a budget of 30 million, although that budget may be underreported. 
um, something I couldn't quite find a solid number on. That's the initial announced budget, but there's also lots of rumors that was closer to like 42, 45 because of all the cards they wrecked. Um, Cause this was supposed to be that quirky little musical comedy, not that giant, huge road movie where we wrecked, you know, eight dozen cars. Uh, it got a little away from them. Um, <laughs> Curly sits with a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 72, which blowed out your ass critics, but an audience score 92% fresh. Uh, much better. But yeah, so the Blues Brothers is one of those classic movies. It, it's like required viewing, right? Like at some point in your life, you have to watch the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's too good. Belushi and Aykroyd, one of the best comedy duos ever tragically cut short uh, because of the loss of Belushi. Um, and, and to their credit, they kept in Aykroyd kept the blues brothers going. Uh, we'll get to that later down the list, but uh, the, the, you know, Belushi's legacy, and the blues Brothers' legacy lived on after that um, for better or worse. We'll, we'll get to that later, but it's one of those, it's, it's, it's so bizarre. It could have only worked in the eighties. And thank God it did, because it works beautifully. Like, nothing should work, but it does. It's a band movie. It's a road movie. It's a mission from God movie. It's zany and quirky. It has rules that, like, scenes that defy the laws of physics and gravity, but it just, you just go with it. Uh, it's got celebrity cameos about, you know, Steven Spielberg cameos as the, the county clerk who's out to lunch. Uh, we wreck 80 million cars because why not with the comedy rule of just keep going. It'll be funnier. The more cars we wreck, the funnier it'll be. <laughs> Damn the budget. Uh, Illinois freaking Nazis. Like you sit here and list out all the things in this movie and you're like, what? But somehow they all make sense within the story and they all work. And the entire movie is hilarious. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Uh, yeah, the scene of the 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 flying car, well, well I guess falling car. Falling just, car it's yeah. it's just it's so bizarre, but yet just like Chef's Kiss, like it's the which, perfect amount of zany. Yeah, which which they had to do a test drop on that. Uh, of course they so did. When they wanted to do it, I forget the altitude that they they dropped it from, but they 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 had to satisfy before they could get permission to do it within view of the city. Because uh, they, they they got the great shot, you know the city. That's right. Yeah, the city's in the background. Yeah. Um, before they could do it there to get that shot in the background, they had to go to a a, a safe testing area mm-hmm. and drop it uh, to satisfy the FAA because <laughs> the FAA was concerned the 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 aerodynamics of the car. They wanted to make sure it would drop straight down within a controlled space and it wouldn't catch air and go sailing out into the city. They didn't, they didn't want it to start flying. <laughs> so they're like, do a test one and, and show us that you can drop it, you know, within a controlled area. See, this is this movie is just a monument to, we don't, they sure don't make them like they used to. Because uh, nope. nowadays that would, and, and I, you know, you might even argue back then that probably should have just been a model shot. We'll superimpose it. But no, they dropped a real damn car. They dropped a car. <sighs> Mr. T is in this movie. Okay. He's listed as guy on street uncredited. Oh, I was like, are you, are you just reading IMDb? Uh, I am looking on IMDb because I'm trying to find out who that, who that one person. If was. that's, if it's Bill Murray again, I don't think it is, but I, I, I don't, I haven't paid enough attention. I thought that was just an in joke to Frank Oz. Who was, a? Uh, he's got a cameo. 
He directed the second one, I think. Uh, Frank Oz, I know he's, he's the warden. No, he's the guy in the prison when Jake gets out in this one, yes. and then he's the yes. warden of the prison in the second one. That's what yes. it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 the, the whole do you have Miss Piggy is a uh, in joke for Frank Oz because he's the voice of Miss Piggy. Uh, but yeah, so Blues Brothers classic. Uh, as far as the idea of taking characters from SNL and turning them into to movies, you knocked it out of the park with the first one. Oh yeah, did a did a beautiful one. Uh, for some reason, it took. 12 years to try it again. And that brings us to 1992. Hey, Jay, do you know what time it is? Tool time. It's time for Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Oh. It's party time. It's excellent. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Uh, <laughs> and look, I love this movie. I love this movie, too. I feel like Wayne's World, in many ways, is kind of Blues Brothers for the Pepsi generation. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's there's a lot of sim. I rewatched Wayne's World because it's on uh, a streaming service. So I'm not going to name, but uh, a lot of similarities. But yeah, 1992 Wayne's World. Jay, thoughts on Wayne's World? A sphincter says what? What? A sphincter says what? What? Uh God, I love Wayne's World. <laughs> it's funny because it's it's like comedic. It has a story. It breaks the fourth wall constantly. Um, uh, Dana Carvey and Mike Myers really bring those characters. I think they're hilarious. Um, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't those two, I don't think. It's just, it's. I love that movie. Uh, especially the end. <laughs> Let's do the Scooby-Doo ending. <laughs> I was going to say, which ending? <laughs> God, I love yeah, it. it's it's it perfectly captures that that '90s style of humor, um, which I can't really describe. You just, you know it when you see it, uh, and, and it, there's a lot of of what will become hallmarks of um, uh, Mike Myers' style of comedy. The movie, yes, it has an overarching plot to it about uh, Wayne's World is a show on basic cable, and they get bought out by a big cable company, and then the nefarious big company it's also very it has one foot very firmly in the 80s in that like caddyshack slobs versus snobs kind of movie of of wayne and his buddies are just sort of like down on their well not that on their, like, you know middle class slacker kind of uh, uh that, that you know they're, they're into music but they're not really driven to do anything and then the suave um rich business guy comes in to take over their 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 show and it's got that kind of setup to it um but it's also very Mike Myers based. Essentially the plot is there to seg, uh, segue from one skit or one bit to another. Uh, and, and there's, you know, whether it's a recurring bit, like the ex-girlfriend who, who keeps bringing him random gifts and, you know, hurting herself to try to make him jealous. Um, the, the, like Jay said, the fourth wall breaks are fantastic. That entire sequence where they're just, riffing on uh product placement in movies that should be in every films class when you talk about what is product placement just play that scene it's hilarious the beautiful scene Uh, um i like the uh the the owner of stan nikita's stan makita's yeah and telling stories yes al bundy (laughs) talking about like murdering somebody i'm pretty sure (laughs) 
you're just like, what? Well, it's it's hilarious because like the camera is firmly on Mike Myers. It's it's anytime. Well, mostly when there's a fourth wall break, it's Wayne or Garth having a fourth wall break. But they walk into the restaurant. Wayne has a fourth wall break. They he he calls out, "Hey, this is so and so. He owns this place." And then Mike walks off, or or Wayne, and the camera stays on Al Bundy, and he starts monologuing to the camera until Wayne comes back and says, "Whoa." whoa, whoa. What if the other one's breaking the fourth wall here and like take the camera back? So it's a fourth wall break within a fourth wall break that's a bit about fourth wall breaks. Yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, or when he opens the door and he's like, I've just always wanted to open a door to a room of ninjas training. <laughs> yep. Just opens the door to P-roll. Uh, so yeah, if if you love movies like the Austin Powers movies, you can see the seeds of of like that sort of formula of writing is right here in Wayne's World. Uh, yeah, and it it was also huge. It's a twenty million dollar budget, one hundred eighty three million dollar worldwide gross. <clears throat> it made bank. It it probably made enough to warrant the sequel. Nah, they'll never do a sequel to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's just there's just nothing there left to do. I mean, they did it all in one. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. I love was that it, part. Was was it was it this one or the second one? Is that the one where they with the scene where they meet Alice Cooper? No, that's in this one, the first one. That's where he gets backstage about, passes. Yeah, yeah. yeah where he's and talking about the history of Illinois or no Milwaukee. He's talking about the history of Milwaukee. 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 Yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper kind of being himself, not the Alice Cooper persona. He's like, eh, you're worthy. You're worthy. Get up. <laughs> yeah, he he signed up for a cameo, and then he gets there on the day, and they hand him like these pages of dialogue, and he's like, whoa, okay, that's. And then not knowing that he himself is just a huge history buff, a lot of that stuff is just him off the cuff. <laughs> You gotta love stuff like that. Because he's like, I, I can't memorize these lines, but if you just want me to spout out facts about, like, I can do that. So they they worked with him, yeah. He because he showed up. That, that that whole sequence was supposed to be them backstage with a bunch of artists, and most of them, for whatever reason, didn't show up or couldn't make it. So they they their their number was supposed to be quantity, not quality. Got shifted to well, we mostly have Alice Cooper, so we're gonna make the best we can with Alice Cooper. Uh, yeah. Uh, great, great film. Uh, it immortalized and revitalized uh, Queen thanks to the Bohemian Rhapsody opening. Yep. Um, and one of the first roles for uh, Tia Carrera, which uh, which Mike Myers had to fight for Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yes. No one thought uh, that song worked. They had a bunch of other suggestions they wanted to use because artists already signed uh, contracts for them and all that. And, and, and Mike Myers is like, no, it's got to be this song. Because he wrote, just that's what him and his buddies did. Yeah, and and it led to one of Mike Myers's best cameos. <laughs> yes, it did. Movie. Like thirty years later. Thirty years later, cameoing uh, as the the music uh, industry rep who thought the song was terrible and wouldn't put it on the album. Yes, I like that. Uh, yeah, uh, fun fun uh, behind the scenes. They had done so many takes of the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, when they break into the headbanging that both Dana Carvey and Mike Myers had sore necks. So when you watch the actual take, they're not really moving their heads much because it was like take number 12 and their necks hurt. Yeah. 
So they're mostly gritting their teeth and kind of bobbing their heads, uh, but not really banging their heads uh, yeah. because they'd already done several takes prior to that. But you got to love it when you give yourself whiplash, you know, for your art. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, hey, 12 years apart, little weird, but hey, we're two for two on SNL movies turned in, or SNL characters turned into to big budget motion pictures and both of them kind of i think benefit from there's not a lot of information about the characters given on snl so there was lots of room for them to expand the characters and the world they live in and their supporting cast and craft a story around them i think that was kind of the secret with both of these movies uh yes wayne's world had several segments but it was just it was them in their basement doing their cable access show making jokes we didn't really expand the universe till the movie hit. So I think that's just keep that nugget in mind as we go through some of the, the rest of these movies. Cause from here on out, the, the roller coaster has gone. We have reached the top of the first summit kids. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're about to go down and just like a roller coaster, it's really fun at first. And then it gets kind of, Oh wow. How far down is this going to go? So to start that, uh 1993 scott a movie i know you'll have something to say about um coneheads so i was surprised when this movie came out yeah like as i'm sure pretty much everybody else was uh uh in, in the world because i mean it's 1993 it's what almost 20 years uh, yeah, I did the math. Yeah. It's like 21 years from the time of the first Conehead skit to the Coneheads movie. Yeah, and, and I watched, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, the early the 70s era uh, SNL on on reruns and and stuff when I was growing up. I I, I didn't really care too much for the 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 uh, current SNL when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I watched I watched the reruns of the 70s stuff because you know it was Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and uh you know well, well all the funny ones um and uh so i'd seen you know all the coneheads actual the skits and stuff over the years and so i was like they're doing a coneheads movie really this this far after okay all right well let's, all right, we'll, we'll give it a shot they, they got um i mean they got uh, uh of course dan Aykroyd and um shit i can't remember her name right now um the wife. Yeah, the wife. Uh, Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin? Yeah, Jane Curtin, you know, back. Uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, the rest of the cast, though, that they got, this this cast, unlike the Blues Brothers and Wayne's World, uh, Wayne's World had a little bit more than Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers didn't really have much other than the band, but th- this movie was kind of almost like a who's who of SNL, you know, from early and the yeah you know, the time it was I mean it's got I mean well, Phil Hartman of course is in there uh, Adam Sandler David Spade um, Chris, Chris Farley. Farley Chris Farley thank you uh, you know uh, it, it was that magical time in SNL when um, Lauren Michaels was absolutely stacking the cast because a few seasons prior to that. They had massive turnover and had to almost rebuild the entire cast from scratch one season. So heading into late late 80s, early 90s, Lauren Michael was just stacking the cast. Um, and a lot of people will debate whether they made the show better or worse because more 
uh, not yet ready for prime time players means they're all competing for screen time. And did that mean make them better or worse? Cause you had to be really good to be on that week. Uh, you can, you can debate that on a different show, but same time period, as they start to get into making more to making movies more regularly, you start to see that stable of cast start to work their way into the movies. And, and Scott hit the nail on the head here. The, the, the supporting cast of this at the time, a lot of unknowns. Nowadays, it's like, holy shit, all these people are in this movie? Oh. Um, well, I, and, and also, it gives you, it, it gave them the, 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 the ability to expand on the Coneheads, because I don't think mm-hmm. they really got to see much about where they came from. Uh, they, you know, they, it was like Wayne's World. They just showed up, they were, because the whole, it's the whole juxtaposition that they're obviously aliens in everything they say, but everybody treats them as if they're just regular people. And when it does get questioned, they just say, oh, we're from France. And yeah, I was going to say, we know where they're from, Scott. They're from France. <laughs> they tell you they come from France. <laughs> we come from France. And uh, Sorry, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say, I really love this movie, actually. <laughs> no, it, it is. It is a really good movie. And it, it, in my opinion, it's an underrated movie. And it, it needs to be gone back and looked at. But uh, John Lovitz, you know, uh, of course, makes is in this in this movie and it's one of my things that i like in this movie is because they did a movie they were able they had a they had a budget uh the success of wayne's world i think gave them a a bigger budget than they probably would have had had they done tried to do this one first or anything but it let them do some special effects Mm-hmm. That they were never able to do, you know, live in in a in a skit show in the seventies, obviously, but they used them in very subtle ways. They didn't do it over the top, like the scene with with John Lovitz as Beldar's uh, dentist when when the, the 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 mouth stretches open and you got mm-hmm. all the teeth and everything. It's just a it's just a, a, a it, I'm, I'm gonna say it's subtle because it's it's front and center there. It's center weighted on, on the, in the shot, but. Once again, it's not an over-the-top effect, you know. It's not anything. Yeah, it's it's a puppet fake jaw, and and it's it's built to the joke. Yeah, like it's there to service the comedy. Not oh, look at this cool effect shot. Like it's there to service the joke. Yeah, uh, as as is most of the yeah, because we do end up back on their home planet, and we see flying saucers, and there's there's plenty of of mid '90s visual effects, but they're for the most part anyway, they're all there to service a joke. It wasn't money just because, oh, we have a budget, let's show off. It's, oh, no, that, that's, we got a funny bit here. We couldn't do this. You know, like Scott said, you can't when his jaw just unhinges in his row upon row, can't really pull that off on live TV, but we can do it in the movie. Yeah, we could do it here. Yeah. And, and also, uh, something you can't do on live TV is you can't narfle the gar- Garthok. You, you can't what? can't narfle the Garthok. You can't narfle the Garthok. Garthok. Uh, Megan and I like to just quote parts of this movie sometimes, like just randomly go France. We come from France, uh, but our favorite thing to quote from the movie is mm, "consume alcohol beverage" or "ah mai tai." Just Con- consume mass quantities. Yeah, alcohol beverage. Alcohol beverage, mass quantities. <laughs> ah mai tai. <laughs> Beldar, the phone Dang. is ringing. The beverage the big phone. Dang, the beverage the astronauts took to the moon. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> uh, so 
as much as we enjoy and appreciate this movie, and I again, amazing cast. Uh, I have in my notes here. I love it. Dot dot dot. But um, the movie was made for a budget of thirty million dollars. Its total worldwide gross twenty one million dollars. Ouch. Currently sits at a thirty five percent Rotten Tomatoes critic score and a thirty seven percent audience score. So, bit of a miss. Well, they don't uh, appreciate the subtle humor in it. <laughs> I would call this movie many things. Subtle is not one of them. Uh, <laughs> look, I love this movie mostly because I, I watched this as a young kid just because it was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't. I, I don't think I'd seen a single Coneheads bit before this movie. So as my introduction to the characters, it was awesome. I never understand why we didn't see more of it. Uh, and like Scott so so rightly pointed out, this the, the supporting cast of this movie is insane. Um, it's like who's who of comedy in the in the early nineties. Um, I've got to eh, eh, get run away. away. I've got to, eh, eh. but that's okay, kids. <laughs> that's okay. Little speed bump. That's fine. Because just a year later, in nineteen ninety four, we're taking a trip back to the basement. Jay Wayne's World Two. It's not that bad. <laughs> Way to be convincing there, Jay. <laughs> I France, feel your enthusiasm for this movie. It's not terrible. It's not good, but it's not terrible. I honestly think this one's better than the first one because I feel like it has a more more coherent storyline. And through th- the the story of this one is Wayne and Garth are throwing a music festival. The uh, if you if you uh, the if you build it, they will come. Joke that if you book them, they will come. Yep. Um, which again, also features this movie also features a a giant expanded cast of uh, who's who people from SNL at the time, including including Chris Farley as the the roadie. Um, it's awesome. It just didn't hit with audiences the same. Uh, sadly, it didn't. Well, I I think one of the the problems that that this one suffered. Now, I like the fact that this one has a more cohesive story. Mm-hmm. Than the other one, because the other one, like you said about the the first one, it is it's kind of it just goes from bit to bit to bit, and this one actually has a plot that follows, you know, and, and everything. But I, th- I think the problem with this one is they like in the first one you could tell they wanted musical cameos, but they got uh, 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 what uh, uh, Alice Cooper, you know, and yeah, that's about some, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because of the popularity of the first one. They mm-hmm. had the ability to get cameos, and I think they overcorrected. Because there's there's a crap ton of cameos in this. Yeah, movie. they they went from hitting people up, begging them to be in their movie, to everyone wants to be in your movie now. Yeah, and and they they pretty much didn't they didn't say no to a lot of people. You get a little bit of cameo overload in this movie, just just yeah. a bit. There's there's some bad red manipulating the crowd. <laughs> Don't eat the red robe licorice. <laughs> uh, I do. Jay hits on a perfect. I, I this movie I enjoy because Garth is just kind of there in the first movie um, for reasons I won't get into for time wise. But the second movie actually gives Garth kind of a plot. Uh, he, he gets a love story. He gets yeah. a romance story. <laughs> yeah, he gets his character arc. <laughs> Kim Basinger. It's hilarious. Um, so I love the fact that Garth gets more to do. 
yeah, I think we're all fans of it. It's just for whatever reason, and maybe it came out because again, there there were two years between the ninety two and ninety four. Maybe it was a little too much too soon. Because with sequels, there's always that: do you strike while the iron is hot, or do you let it cool down so you can build it back up again? Kind of thing. Um, maybe that had something. Maybe it was just people were still enjoying the first one, and the second one was just too much too soon. I don't know. Um, what I do know is it did not do nearly as well. Uh, $40 million budget, because you know the first one was a huge hit, uh, only took in $48 million at the box Oof. office. Um, with a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 60 and an audience score of 63. <sighs> That's too bad. So this, this is interesting. Okay. So... I, I'm looking at some of the the trivia for the for the, the movie because I like I can't help myself it's, it's what I do. Um, it, it has now I'm not a music person, right? I, I don't know all the these stories about music people and everything, but uh-huh. um, I, I guess there's a um, there's a, a urban legend story that goes around about how Van Halen always had a writer in their contract. That they they always had to have a bowl or something of M and M's provided with the brown ones removed. Yes, and apparently they flipped out and did like eighty thousand dollars worth of damage at a show because they found brown M and M's was is the urban legend. Mm-hmm. So it's not entirely accurate, um, and, and I guess it's part here because you know their standard contract was used. I guess whenever they're they're doing the movie. Um, the reason that that rider is in their contract, um, the the reason they put that in is that way they could make sure, like they could, it was a visual uh, countermeasure for them to know when they got there that their entire contract requirements had been read and obeyed in full. Because there was a show at Pueblo, Colorado, where the rider was not read in full. Um, uh, well, uh, because the, their rider included certain safety measurements for the band's exceptionally large and heavily heavy stage equipment, and at a Pueblo, Colorado show, their rider wasn't read in full, and the stage crashed through the floor because those safety requirements weren't weren't met. That's where the myth comes from that the damage was caused by because they didn't have brown M&Ms. So the brown M&Ms are just so they can know. Oh, hey, the the venue read our entire you know, all of our requirements and everything has been met because they, they did this stupid, absurd thing that we asked them to do. I always makes me think of uh, the movie Airheads when they start making their weird demands. Yeah. I've never Football seen... Football helmet full of cottage cheese. Naked <laughs> pictures of B. Arthur. B. Arthur? Yeah. yeah I know who B. Arthur is. I've, I've never seen that movie. Oh, dude. Really? Unfortunately, oh. it is currently out of print. I am desperately trying to find a physical copy because that needs to be a Danny's Night movie because that movie is amazing. Right. It's also no longer on. It was taken off of a streaming service, then put back on. I don't know if it's off again. It is not on any but... streaming service I currently have access to. Oh, it's such a good yep. movie. Yep. I'm, I'm about to pay dumb money for a DVD. Uh, but. Moving right along. Uh, so even, even, so, okay, okay. Started out strong. Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, cool. Coneheads, maybe a little bit of a kerfuffle, but we still like the movie. Wayne's World didn't do so great financially. We still like it as a movie. Here's one I think we will all agree with. It's just kind of, 
1995. It's Pat. They made a movie out of that? Oh, they did. They sure did, buddy. They sure did. Never seen it. Yeah, uh, a lot of people didn't see this movie. Yeah, I, I did not see it either. I, Of all, I, I don't get... I mean, you know, Julia Sweeney's good. She, she does good stuff. and this, this had a decent cast, but of all the characters you can make a movie out of from SNL this time, it's Pat. Like, I, I liked Pat. I liked the character of Pat on SNL. I thought it was good in small doses. I would never watch a movie about it. Yeah, uh, Jay, nail on the head there, buddy. Uh, it's Pat works great in a five to ten minute skit. When you stretch that to 90 minutes, because they don't add anything new to It's Pat. It's still the same old androgyny jokes for 90 minutes. It gets really old really quick. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite Pat skits is um, with... Uh... Oh, God, now I can't remember his name. Uh, Christopher Walken, there we go. Uh-huh. When when he's like, we made love eight times. I still don't know. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. But I a full movie of it. I'd be like, okay, this is old. So, fun facts here, guys. Movie was made for a budget of $8 million. Uh, according to some uh, reports, it was intended to be direct-to-video, which then got a theatrical release, which I'll kind of believe. You want to know how much it made total at the box office on that $8 million budget? 500000 Scott, guesses? I have no idea. $60,000. Precisely $60,822. Yikes. Who were the people that went to go see that? So what you're saying is not exactly financially successful. Rotten Tomatoes does not have a critic's score for this movie. Wow. Wow. It has a user score of 29%, which I think is generous. So, Uh, yeah. And here's the thing. As bad as this movie is, apparently, it's still higher. It's still very much higher rated on Rotten Tomatoes than Cleopatra. Really? Yeah, Cleopatra has like one of the worst Rotten Tomatoes like ever. It's like it's like three percent user. So Liz Taylor, Cleopatra. Yeah, no, 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 not Liz Taylor. The the new with the uh, uh, Jaden Pinkett Smith. There's the new Cleopatra. Okay, whatever. <clears throat> Keep okay. my wife's name out your goddamn mouth. Sorry. Okay then, guys, that's fine. That's fine. Look, uh, it's Pat. Like I said. And the report said this was intended to be direct to video when it got released in theaters. I couldn't confirm that, but I kind of believe it. Uh, having watched almost 10 minutes of it um, <clears throat> before I said, screw this. Uh, but that's okay, because 1995 wasn't the only uh, uh, SNL character who got their own movie during that year. Do you guys want to know what else came out in 1995? Uh... Jay, guesses? Was it is it the is it Night at the Roxbury? No, not nineteen ninety five, buddy. Stewart saves his family. <sighs> Stuart? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Oh god, that guy. That guy got a movie. movie him? <laughs> that guy got a movie. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
look, I think the steward is a better choice than it's Pat, just because there's potential potentially more to do with the character of Stuart Smiley than it's Pat. Because again, it's Pat and it's just androgyny jokes for 90 minutes or whatever how long that is. Stuart is is like the daily affirmations guy. You could you could maybe build more of a story around it. Um I'm sorry. Stuart okay. Smalley is is played by Al Franken. Yes. How Al Franken has made a career as a comedy writer and comedian in the entertainment business as long as he has, I have no idea because the man is not funny. Well, it's okay. He's been a politician for the last like decade. Well, I guess he's better at that. <laughs> yeah, he can't be any worse than he was as a comedian because there is nothing that man has ever done that was funny at all. Nothing. I'll take incoming. God, I'm I'm not an Al Franken fan, in case you can't tell. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to see. Two, since 2008, Al Franken has been. Sorry, sorry, 2009. He was elected to the Minnesota Supreme Court. Go Gophers. Go, go Power Rangers. Oh, uh, so, Jay. Yeah. Stewart. Uh, so let, me back, let, me back, let me back up. It's Pat had a budget of $8 million, made $60,000. What do you think Stewart saves his family made on a budget of $6.3 million? Uh, $20,000. Nine hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. Jesus Christ! Damn. So, Stewart. I'm sorry. Anytime you say Stewart, I think of the Mad TV Stewart. Every time. Okay. Stewart. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would. I would agree. That's a. That's a much better Stewart. I, I still wouldn't watch an entire ninety minute movie about that. Stewart, no, definitely not. But, no. no. Look what I can do. <sighs> All right, then. We're just going to move on. Um, yep. So, a movie I know Scott will have something to talk about, and this is part of the reason I wanted to wait till Scott was on the show. 1998. We get the last sequel of SNL movies. The oddly titled, because it came out in 1998, Blues Brothers 2000. Well, there was a, there was a trend at the time of things coming out with the 2000 name. The 2000 number in it, you know, Knight Rider 2000 came out around this time. Stuff like that. So apparently I am in the minority here because I love this movie. I think this movie is funny. This movie is fun. This movie has good music. It has okay characters. I'm not going to say they're great characters. Because they did go a little bit like overboard with it. Like there's, there's, they try to, there's not enough screen time for character. But I love the story that it, that it tells. And you, you've got, because you start out this time, last movie, you started out with Jake getting out of prison. Mm-hmm. You know, and Elwood's there to pick him up because mm-hmm. they're brothers. Mm-hmm. In this one, Elwood gets out of prison. And there's no one there to to to, to pick him up because Jake is passed, and no one's told him that Jake is passed. You know, so it's it's literally it's it's Elwood trying to find his place in the world. He's trying to find family 
and 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 you know, I love the character of Buster. I I like the story this this movie tells. I'm fine. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on, yeah, hold on, yeah. Okay, so to replace the loss of John Belushi, we bring in not one, not two, three new Blues Brothers, including John Goodman as Mighty Mac who had done performances with Aykroyd as the character. We bring in uh, Miles Bennett Dyson from T2, who has an actual name, but I just call him Miles Bennett Dyson and everything, as their, they call him their half-brother because he's the son of the, um, what's his name from the first movie, right? Uh, yeah, he, he's the son of... Um, the janitor from the first movie who taught him about the blues? Shit, uh, Cab Calloway's character. Thank you, thank you, yes. Uh, uh, Curtis. So the character you go to liking is the annoying kid Buster. Yes. I like Buster. Well, I like them all, but I like cuz I like the dynamic that you have between Buster and Elwood, where Elwood he brings out some of the uh, once again, I'm not saying this this, this movie's executed flawlessly. I'm just saying I like the story that it's telling, and I like the dynamic between those two characters. I'm fine with it. Okay. You're what? I am jiggy with it. There it is. I think this movie has some great musical performances. I'm a little confused as to, because at this point in time, um, uh, wow, my name is blanking. Uh, or I'm blanking on names. John Belushi's brother. Um, Jim. Thank you. God damn. Jim Belushi had already filled in his slot as a new character on tour at this point, I believe. And I'm still confused yeah. as to why Jim Belushi is in the movie anywhere. I, I believe I believe I read somewhere once that he was supposed to be. Okay. But there was like some contractual obligations. There was some shooting stuff that uh uh he 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 couldn't be in the film. And I and that's that's why they brought John Goodman in uh as a new character. But don't get me wrong, John Goodman's amazing, and I will never yeah. say anything bad about John Goodman, but I'm just a little per- perplexed. He's miffed. Uh, this movie's got some great performances in it. Uh, it's got the 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 super band at the end is cool, uh, especially if you know your Blues Brothers trivia and, and you know why all those people are there in the super band at the end. Um, I don't think the zaniness quite works in this movie. This movie ends with like voodoo possession and stuff. I'm like, I think we found where the line is for Blues Brothers. I think uh, I think voodoo performances is past the line. Of no. magic flying cars and Illinois Nazis. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. As much as I love, you know, the first movie and everything, a car driving off of an incomplete overpass and somehow magically launching itself several thousand feet in the air to get that drop is nowhere near as like it's the same level of absurdity as. They're getting possessed by a voodoo priestess. I'm sorry. No, because the, the car fall thing is funny and it works, and the voodoo priestess thing is just weird and uh, bad green, not even CGI, like rotoscope. Uh, <laughs> and also to see that band, all of those musicians on stage together at once, it's worth it just for that. Yeah, yeah the musical performances. Are great. Aretha Franklin is back. The the original band is back. If you're watching, if you like Blues Brothers for the music, 
this movie will deliver. If you like it for the comedy, I'm so glad. Uh, I've never seen this movie, so. Oh my god, you need to watch it. I mean, uh, I'm I'm sorry, Blues Traveler gives a really good performance. I like Blues Traveler. Apparently, I get you know made fun of a lot when I say that, but I'll say it proudly. I like Blues Traveler. I like, I like Blues, Blues Traveler. Traveler. I don't know. Every time I've talked about it, I I get made you know I get made fun of. He's like, oh, you're in the nineties. I don't care if I'm in the nineties. I like it. Go away. What's um, whatever. That's a whole different diatribe for later. Um, oh, was it? Uh, <clears throat> shit. What was the name of? Uh, what did they call the band in the movie? The band. Yeah, the the one they they play against. Uh, I don't know. The All Star uh, Band. Shit. This- uh, Uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't like this movie, um, and I, I I have been told on a couple of different occasions that you know Dan Aykroyd himself does not like this movie, and I will tell Dan Aykroyd to his face that he is wrong because the movie is good. <laughs> I think his quote was he was disappointed with how it turned out, and I would agree with him on that one. Is it was made with the best of intentions? Uh, it had a lot going for it, but it didn't it didn't quite come together the way the original did. Um, thirty million dollar budget, fourteen million dollar take, forty six percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, thirty seven <laughs> user score. So the critics, for once, liked it better than the audience did. So there yeah. you go. The, the Louisiana Gator Boys. So okay. So on stage together at the same time, you have Jeff. Skunk Baxter, Gary U.S. Bonds, Eric Clampton, uh, Clapton, sorry, uh, Clarence Clemens, uh, Dak, uh, Jack Dijonet, Bo Diddley, uh, John Faddis, Isaac Hayes, Dr. John, B.B. King, Tommy Pipes McDaniel, Charlie Musselwhite, Billy Preston, Lou Rawls, Joshua Redman, Paul Schaefer, Coco Taylor, Travis Tritt, Jimmy Vaughn, uh, Grover Washington Jr., Willie Weeks, and Steve Winwood. Like that, that band having them in one place at one time is unprecedented. At you know, it, in in at any point, they have never been together before, and they've never been together since. They never will, because several of them are dead now. But yeah, and then couple oh, that yeah. with the fact that after the actual battle of the bands, there's. There's a song that they do with the Blues Brothers band. So couple that with the Blues Brothers band. And I'm sorry. The whole thing is worth it just for that. I'd have been fine just watching 90 minutes of them just playing. Yeah, you know, a concert movie would have been better. Just film a concert. Put Still haven't there. seen it. It's fine. God, it's Jay. Yeah. I got a question for you. Yeah. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. It, it's, nice. not, it's not an answer to the question, Jay. No, it is. Uh, it is the, that is the exact right response. 1998 also saw another SNL movie uh, from the new cast. Some very recent characters at that point. We have A Night at the Roxbury. Uh, once again, I must apologize. I have not actually seen this movie either. See, I was counting on you, uh, talking about this movie because 
I I I, I watched a little bit of it and I hated it. So yeah, so, see, okay, this is the same thing as uh, Pat or Stuart. It's the Roxbury Twins are good in small doses. I love the Roxbury Twins on SNL. It's a short, like, to the point, hey, this is kind of cool. Um, you know, it's fun, especially when they get, like, not, like I can't remember the skit who they had as the third Roxbury twin one time. Was it Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey, yeah. Carrey, and yeah. That was hilarious. But so a full feature-length film of these guys, I'll pass. Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan uh, from the new cast, and... Uh, Look, looking back, I can see why they might have bet on these. First of all, two very talented comedians playing a duo, just like Blues Brothers, just like Wayne's World, in skits where you don't learn a lot about the actual characters. So we have lots of things to expand on for a movie. But like Jade just pointed out, every skit is kind of one note. They don't really talk. They have a few little bits they do of miscommunication and the Roxbury and the girl where they bounce her back and forth. Um, Jay, you and I were the exact target for this movie because we were at middle school dances doing Roxbury shit. Yeah, we were the Roxbury twins at dance. We should have... Go ahead, sorry. Really? really? You you all actually did this shit at at dances? Yeah, we were hilarious. Yeah, Yeah, it was great. Are you sure? Are you sure you were hilarious? It got yeah. we got we got laughs and phone numbers. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Just, wow. So yeah, Jay, you and I should have gone to have seen this in 1998, and we did not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think for whatever reason, it just uh, like hey, maybe there's not a whole lot to, or maybe it's a case of the more you know about these characters, the less funny it is because the joke is they're just shallow and vapid. So if you try to like yeah. give them character arcs, it takes away from the funny. I don't know. Yes, yeah, they're they're one trick ponies, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I mean, like the Blues Brothers. If you strip out the band and the musical performances from the Blues Brothers, they're they're probably not the greatest either. If you if you strip out everything around them and just have them doing their one trick shtick, but um. Yeah, in short skits, they're funny, but they they never get any character arc. They never get any growth. They never get any. They're just the same thing every time that they're on screen. There, there's nothing actually there. Uh, though I do have to say that uh, there was one skit that they did that I actually laughed at and enjoyed, but it wasn't until after they were out of the skit. <laughs> They being the Roxbury guys? Roxbury guys. The Butop okay. Twins, whatever the fuck they are. Sure. Uh, they were doing, it was Saturday Night Live. I don't remember the year or anything. They they did a Night at the Roxbury skit. I think it might have been after the movie came out. Because they, they, they were still on SNL when the movie came out, right? Yes. Yeah. So this skit might have come out after the movie. I don't know. But they were doing a Night at, it was a typical Night at the Roxbury skit. You know, and everything. But what I loved about it was... When they when they finish it, right? They're in the nightclub. Mm-hmm. They finish the skit. They exit stage left, and entering stage right is Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin doing Two Wild and Crazy Guys. Yep, I remember that one. Yeah, it was, I think that was for the anniversary special. Yeah, and that 
that was fun. that was funny because they don't actually yeah. have a skit they just closed out the skit but yeah yeah which is too wild and crazy yes. which which i think would actually make for a funnier movie if you had those characters doing a did a movie with those characters but today like now scott they're old but they're still stuck in that time period scott, yeah put a pin right in that okay just put a pin right there. We'll come back to that. I got a surprise bit at the end of the show. Um, so we're going to fire through these last few quickly because I think we'll all be in the same category of I haven't seen it. I don't really care about it. So that's the Roxbury 1998. It's a $17 million budget, $30 million gross. So it made some money. Um, not a whole lot, but you know, it, it, it recouped its cost. Uh, 11% Rotten Tomatoes critic score, 69. Nice. Uh, audience score. <laughs> Appropriate. Uh, a year later, we got uh, our, if you don't count, it's Pat, we got our first female, or our first confirmed female led SNL movie, uh, Superstar from 1999, starring Molly Shannon. Skip. Is Mary Catherine Gallagher. Skip. Just, just passed, passed, done, passed. Skip. Okay, Scott. Anything to say about Superstar? No, I no, I did not see it. I thought it was dumb. I thought every skit that they did was dumb. Um, it it just made no sense to me. I I didn't understand the comedy of overzealous oh, was, cheerleader wannabes. That was supposed to be comedy. I guess. <laughs> I mean, literally, at one point, you have the you 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 have the main character making out with a tree. Yep. I I, I don't I don't get the comedy. Like I, I would rather I would rather see the Spartan cheerleaders. The Spartan cheerleaders. Put a pin in that too, Jay. Um, oh, similar is. box office for Night at the Roxbury. Now, this movie either cost fourteen million or thirty-four million. I could not find a consistent source, uh, so it either made a little bit of money or it lost money. Uh, either way, it did not set the critics on fire either. Thirty-two percent critic score, fifty-nine percent audience score. So we're not really moving the needle here much. The next year, Tim Meadows, the ladies' man from two thousand. Okay. There's only one scene I remember from this movie. I've never seen the movie, but there's only one scene I remember. Okay. It's where they get into an eating competition of, like, pickled things. That's the only thing I remember about this movie. And, like, the the antagonist ends up eating a piece of human shit or something like that. That's all I remember. I could be okay. misremembering. But, again, no thank you. Scott. You know... I watched, you know, I watched this movie, and I remember liking this movie when I watched it. I remembered enjoying it, but I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't remember much about it. Like, like I only watched it the one time when it came out. I remembered somewhat enjoying it. I didn't hate it, um, and and I think it it owes primarily to Tim Meadows himself, yes. because he is a charismatic actor with a charismatic character. You know, I mean, he's on screen as a ladies' man. It's like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can dig this character. I'm, I, I can get into it with him, and, 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 uh, you know, this, the stuff that, the, the jokes that, you know, he comes off with as far as the way they portray his character. It's like, oh, okay, it makes me chuckle. <laughs> that, that's kind of funny and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't come off as like overly memorable because uh, I've never watched it again. 
I'll just say this. I think the biggest flaw of this movie is Leon Phelps, the ladies' man, is a guy who's like stuck in that 70s ladies' man mentality. And him hosting a nightly love talk show, funny skit. The movie, they tried to have him like grow as a person because it's him like living with the demons of his past ladies' man life as he's trying to like grow up and evolve. It's like, no, he's the ladies' man. Yeah, you can't have him evolve. Otherwise, you kill the joke. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so moving on. Um, quite a gap here. Because, again, uh, Ladies Man, 11% critic score, 42% audience score, made $13 million on a budget of $24 million. Uh, Laura Michael just hit a full stop on this. Like, yeah, these are not working. Uh, people are not really liking them. They are not really making money. We are done. So... They tried again. We had a 10-year hiatus from 2000 to 2010 when we got our next and currently, at the time of this recording, last SNL skit turned into a movie. And boy, am I going to rant about this one. But first, I want to let Jay have his one-word review. Jay, 2010, MacGruber. Never seen it. Sorry. It's okay, buddy. Skip. Um, Look, I'll keep this rant short. This was funny the first time they did it on SNL because MacGruber is a parody of MacGyver, which is a show that I loved back in the day as a kid. Richard Dean Anderson, he's a Heath legend, loved the show. Skit, the first time they did it, was funny. Ah, We're making fun of MacGyver. Okay, that's that's cute. That's funny. Okay. And the bomb blows up at the end. That's funny. Okay. And then we just kept doing it. Same thing over and over and over again. The, 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 they reached their pinnacle when actual hair, uh, hair, when actual MacGyver came on the show to be in the skit. Anytime you have a skit where you're parodying a character or a person and that person comes on, like when Janet Reno came onto a skit when Will, Will Ferrell was impersonating Janet Reno, like that's the end of the Janet Reno bits. Like we have we have peaked now. We are done. Like when, when you have the person you're parodying come on, like, okay, cool. That, that's where you end it. It's where you call it a day and you move on. They kept doing it. They made a freaking movie. Here's my problem. MacGyver ended in 1992. MacGruber had its first sketch in 2007. Who the fuck were we making this for? Me? me? Did you see MacGruber? No. Okay. Doesn't mean they can't make it for me, though. 15 years after the thing you're parodying is off the air, you're making a parody. Again, the skit, fine, cool. I can see them pitching that in an SNL meeting. and Okay, that's funny. We can plug that anywhere. Sure, we'll do that. Oh, people kind of laugh at it. We'll do it a few more times. Okay, sure. You want to make a movie and then a web series about this? Now, that being said, I want to see the movie and I want to see the web series. But you're right. I grew up with the show, so I know what it's referencing, and I've never seen the skits. So I'm coming into it with, you know, your 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 and your argument's not wrong. Like it's it's once again it's 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 making fun of a show, and you're only really doing one joke, and that is incompetent MacGyver, um, Mr. Bean MacGyver, if you will. Yeah. I guess is is the joke. Um, and if you've seen the skits, then, you know, there's not going to be anything new in the movie or the series, but I haven't seen the skits. So I still kind of wouldn't mind to see the movie. You know, already $10 million budget, $9.3 million box office. 
as of the time of this recording in 2023, there has not been an SNL film since MacGruber. Which leads me to the final bit I want to get into. I'm springing this on everybody last minute, but you guys sound like you're already on the same page as I am. We've gone through this list uh, that spans 30 years from mm-hmm. Blues Brothers to MacGruber, Wayne's World, it's Pat, Stuart saves his family, and that's Roxbury. You, you heard, you listened to the show. Now, guys, between the years 1980 and 2010, there were plenty of great, beloved SNL characters. Yeah, we got movies based on It's Pat and Stuart Smiley and the Coneheads. So, guys, if you don't mind riffing with me for just a moment, can we give a big Wayne's World top, we'll say five, list of characters that should have gotten movies other than the ones we picked? Oh, hell. I can riff for a bit. Scott, you already knocked off one directly from my list. That's why I told you to put a pin in it. Oh, the, the wild and crazy guys? Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I, I would I would love to. But, and, and here's the thing, though. It, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, uh, what we have with the ladies' man. A little bit. Hmm. Is that you've got those basically people, you know, stuck in a different time type thing. Or the, mm-hmm. the whole arrested development kind of thing because because one of the one of the, the 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 core tenets of comedy is juxtaposition right you, right you take something out of its element and put it into a different element and it becomes anachronistic to an extent uh, and that that uh, that that anachronism can be funny um and, and the ladies man was fine you know for what it did and everything but I think if you took two wild and crazy guys who were very much in that that early 1970s uh, club vibe, right? And you tried to the bring swingers. them in, the, the swingers, yeah. And you yep. tried to bring them into today. Like, could you imagine a scene of one of them finding their way onto Grinder? See, okay, now, <laughs> that would be hilarious, and I like that. Because it, it almost makes me. I was. This was on my list of why didn't so uh, the Festrunk brothers. Um, the first skits were this, a couple of skits from seventy seven to seventy eight. I was gonna pitch it as this would have been great in like ninety eight when it's like the end of the nineties coming into the two thousands and they are still stuck in the seventies. Until Scott just pitched them discovering Grinder, and now I want to see that skit. <laughs> Them, you know what's got maybe they would work better in 2023 <laughs> where they're in their 60s and trying to swing exactly they're in their 60s they're still trying to swing you know they got phones now and shit uh look just the talent of dan Aykroyd and steve martin together would have been better than half the movies on this list so i'm gonna um, toss one out okay um i think that a church lady movie would be interesting. That was my number two, Jay. Yes, Danny Carvey's Church Lady. Church Lady. The church chat segments where she's the judgy church lady who has guests on mostly shows she can look down on them. Uh, the, the ones with Madonna come out to mind where she just makes fun of Madonna being a little whore. A little harlot. Uh, church Lady may be one of the longest running characters from 86 to 1990 until Danny Carvey left the show, came back in 96, 2000, 2011, and 2016. Obviously, this character had legs. 
Yep. Uh, yeah. No, I'm with you, Jay. Uh, I'm not sure what the plot would have been, but a church lady movie with a Dana Carvey solo movie, uh, again, would have been a more worthy inclusion than some of the movies on this it, list. I'm not sure why you, it didn't happen. You could have gone like Wayne's World-ish with it, where like it's a cable show. Yeah, I would have done... I would pitch it as churchly, very much that same uh, uh, tone, Jay, but only instead of like a cable network, it's like a televangelist wants to pick up the show. Yeah. And she uncovers how sinful the televangelist is. Uh, so yes. you get a big church lady rant in the third act when she exposes how corrupt they are. Um, but number one, Jay. Yeah. And it, I still feel like this is criminal. Because this character is one of the most beloved SNL characters of any era of the show. The actor portraying this character is one of the greatest comedy talents to ever grace comedy. This is a perfect character because while, yes, the skits were a bit one note, this character hinted at a much larger backstory. Jay, I don't know if you know this, but my name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. Yes. I've been in the basement drinking coffee for the last three hours. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am thrice divorced, living on a diet of government cheese, currently living in a van down by the river. Gee, gee, Dad, my my vision's not too good. Is that Bill Shakespeare sitting over there? I heard you've been doing something else with your papers. I heard you've been rolling doobies. What about you? What, about- what do you want to do? What do you- I want to live in a van down by the river. Well, don't have plenty of time to do that when you're living in a van down by the river. Uh, look, look. <laughs> Admittedly, Matt Foley, a little bit of a one note. But that is a great fucking one note. And again, the character hints at a much larger... He's thrice divorced. Let's meet those ex-wives. Yes. He lives in a van down by the river. Let's see that van down by the river. Well, yeah, and let's see him driving the van from, from motivational speaker gig to motivational speaker gig. Yes. You know. Just, just think of the the... Especially given this era of SNL. So the first skit was in uh, 93. The final Matt Foley skit was in 1997. Somewhere in the mid to late 90s. Would have been your perfect time, uh, your slot to do this. Think of the amazing talent SNL had and the people who were friends with with um, uh, Farley at this point and, and the, the uh, talent you could have gotten. Like Scott said, is traveling from gig to gig, like the, the thing writes itself. It could have been a, a Wayne's World style, just moving from bit to bit kind of thing, like a road movie kind of deal. I just, ah, oh, man, it kills me. Again, to look at some of the things that got budgets. Take the eight million you spent on its pat and give it to Farley for, for a Matt Foley movie. I guarantee you, it would have made more money. Oh yeah, uh, it, it would have been. It would have been yeah. gold. The like the whole crux of the movie could have been him trying to buy a better, <laughs> better van. Yeah, that's why he's doing these motivational gigs. He needs a better van for down by the river. Uh, <sighs> yeah. I do have I have one more. Yeah, no, it's fine. John. Jay. I just have one thing that I need to tell you. Okay. We are here to pump you up. Oh, is this I'm Hans, Hans and Franz? I'm Hans and I'm Franz. 
Uh, those guys, they cracked me up. Yeah. Again, uh, like most characters, it's just one thing. Like, it's just the one thing that they do. Well, so there's yeah. annoying guys in the gym. Yeah. Uh, that, again, go ahead. Go ahead. That's fair. I was going to say, you, you could have them either A, getting kicked out of their gym or their gym closes and they're trying to find a new gym. Yeah. They start their own gym. Or they start their own they gym. They want to make a workout tape. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and why didn't we get them in the background of, of Dodgeball? That would have been awesome. Like oh in the background God. of Average Joe's. <laughs> that would have been great. Because uh, SNL owns the characters, that wasn't an SNL movie. But still, uh, I, another skit where like you kind of peaked when Arnold Schwarzenegger actually came on the show. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is a great the bit with Arnold is fantastic because Arnold's a, a you know, great talented comedian too. But uh, yeah, Jay, that again, you could have written a movie for those guys, just them out in the world being Hans and Franz, making fun of little girly men. Oh, what if they were? What if Hans and Franz were roommates with the wild? Yeah, with wild. The, yeah, with the roommates with the wild and crazy guys. I think there's oh, a bit okay. to a gap. For them to be roommates, it'd still be funny. Mm, potentially, funnier than okay. Pat. Funnier yeah. than Pat. Again, the bar is set pretty low with some of these. I think but, everything we've pitched so far is a better movie well, than it's Pat and Stuart saves his family. Yes. So, uh, God, Scott. Well, so if, if I can throw one out here, real please, quick. yes, yes. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dig back to the old school. Like with cone heads, like, okay. like if, if you're open to that, right? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I, my, my connection probably is shit. Oh, okay. Back to cone heads and what? Yeah, yeah. So throw, throwing back to the old school, if you're open to the old school characters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And stuff. Nick the Lounge Singer, Bill Murray. <gasps> yes. Like, like that would just be an awesome character to do a movie. You could either, I mean, I know, right. If you were to do it today and you wanted Bill Murray, then you have to tell the aged Nick, the lounge singer story somehow. Eh, that's okay. Personally, um, since you can't do it today, I, I wouldn't mind recasting Nick, the lounge. I don't know who would play him. If you were going to recast Nick and bring somebody else in, it's I Nick say, and put it in the seventies. Cast Bill Murray, keep it in the seventies, and who the fuck cares? <laughs> you could you could definitely do that too. But yeah, the, Nick the, the lounge the, singer. The seventies going to the eighties when lounge singers are kind of getting out of fashion, but he's still holding on to it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah dude. Anyway, Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, even in the nineties, like like if if we're also talking about what could they have done during the nineties other than what they did, you know that. Flop- <laughs> You know, you know mm-hmm. 90s Bill Murray as yeah. Nick Lounge Singer. You could have even said it in the 80s, like you said, and it would have been fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. He kind of plays a version of that character in um, Kingpin. Yes. Yes, he does a little bit. That yeah. Smarmy kind of confident, yeah. but still, yeah. And that was 90s, and he still pulled it off. He absolutely could have done that. Um, yeah, dude. That, that, look, I, I, my default is to go to that mid nineties because, and this is the age old thing. SNL, it, the glory days to me and Jay are the the SNL we grew up watching, and Scott grew up watching a different cast. 
So yeah. his picks are going to be from a little further back than me and Jay's. Nothing wrong with that because there was some gold back in the day too. So yes. um, no hate here. Yes, I, I'm 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 open to any decade. Um, I've got one more pitch, and this one's kind of obscure, but I loved it. It's also from the '90s. Uh, these skits went from '91 to '96, featuring the now late, always great Phil Hartman. Jay, would you have watched an unfrozen caveman lawyer, the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just an unfrozen caveman. I don't understand your laws and your automobiles. I just know bash good, food fun, fire bad. <laughs> but I know my client is innocent. <laughs> you know, you know, I was I was thinking about because I because I, I liked, you know, un, unfrozen. <sighs> I'm I'm sorry, but it, it's sad to think of all the stuff that never got made because we lost Phil Hart. Yep. I mean, that man was comedy genius. Half the Simpsons cast. <laughs> um, One guy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, oh, what was it? The, the whole thing about Unfrozen, I have flashbacks, right? When thinking about doing un- unfrozen caveman lawyer, I have flashbacks to that really shitty uh, caveman TV show that was based off the commercial line, that, you know, uh, and everything. Yeah. And the, so this this kills me. This is a little bit of a rant that I have, and that you have those commercials with the caveman, right? So first of all, you had two different series of commercials at the same time for the same thing. You had the caveman, From and you Geico. had. From Geico, yeah, you had the you know it was a it was a them or I, I forget who it was. Was Geico? Had, it was a Geico. You had the cavemen, and you had the uh, the 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 band that's you know living in the you know the apartment and stuff. Anyway, um, and you decide to make a TV show out of the caveman commercial line, right? It's like okay, mm-hmm. they're they're popular. I get it, but. In the pro in 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 the commercial line in the marketing uh, uh, campaign, the whole joke was, you know, it's so simple a caveman can do it because a caveman is simple, right? He's mm-hmm. you know he's dumb. He's very ugh, you know, blah blah blah. Which unfrozen caveman lawyer leaned into heavily, yeah. Um, but when at at the end of those commercials they're sitting there across from the caveman they're like oh we're so sorry we didn't know you all were still around the cavemen in the commercials are lawyers and doctors and um uh like CPAs and stuff accountants because the juxtaposition is they're not dumb they're intelligent mm-hmm. they they're they're ivy league people mm-hmm. and then you do the tv show and the tv show you're trying to make them blue collar why are you trying to make them blue collar you're just taking the joke and throwing it away and trying to make a TV show out of, well, fucking nothing. So every time I think about it, if I think about Unfrozen Caveman, <laughs> like bringing it into a, a, a movie, they're just gonna, they're gonna, I have flashbacks to that and they're going to screw it up. Well, the talent of Phil Hartman would have carried it. Uh, <laughs> but again, it's one of those bits where, yes, it's one note, but it's Phil Hartman and he's hilarious in it. And there's enough of like, how did he become unfrozen? We never know. We don't know. It's not pertinent to the joke. So we never learned on the skit. Uh, but I, I just like, look, trying to think back of the recurring skits that I loved on SNL. That was one of them. 
Um, and, and the fact that it was Phil Harbin um, would have been great because he was, he was fantastic. So that's what I've got. I don't know if anybody else has any other ideas for skits that should have been movies. No, not really. So our top five skits that should have been movies other than half the ones we actually got made are Nick the Lounge Singer, Two Wild and Crazy Guys, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, Church Lady, and Matt Foley, Motivational Speaker. There you go. We just gave you a bonus show on top of this show. You're welcome. With that, I think we're done. Anybody else have anything to say about SNL movies? Should they give it a try? Should we leave it be? Well, I don't know if watch there's SNL any... anymore. Yeah, I don't know if there's any like characters out there right now that are recurring that you could make a movie about. But I don't. Oh no, no, SNL watch SNL years ago. Right now. Yeah, SNL is done. It went off the air years ago. They haven't made any new SNL since like 1999 or some shit. Um. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's gone. It's yeah. There's no new SNL. Uh, I reached the age of 35, and apparently, when you reach the age of 35, you can no longer watch SNL. It's just it's just gone. It just doesn't oh. anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell them. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much. We had a great time this week. I had a great time hosting. Uh, thank you to our special musical guest. Uh, I'm so sorry for the Jay's not here to soundboard. We had to cut you for time. I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm, I'm not mad. Why would I be mad? I have nothing to be mad about. I have no reason to be upset about anything. Nothing at all. No reason to be upset at all. And that's why we love you. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you next week.